you have your Bibles, open to Hebrews chapter 3. Now we're going to go through a significant section of Hebrews 3 and part of Hebrews 4, but we'll just begin with Hebrews chapter 3. We'll read from verses 12 to 14. See, it, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. Pray with me. Father, we just ask you to help us hear your voice in the word. That we, Lord, we need you to talk to us this morning. And we're trusting, Lord, that your word will accomplish exactly that. That each individual here will receive from you encouragement or correction or direction or whatever it is that we need. So that we might live a life that's pleasing to you and a life that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Let's play a little game. I'll begin with a line from a classic rock song and you give me the next one, okay? Just shout it out if you know it. I'll start first. Just a small town girl living in a lonely world. What did she do? She took that midnight train going anywhere. And then we've got just a city boy. Where's he from? Born and raised in South Detroit, that's right. And where is he going? He took the midnight train, going anywhere. And then what follows in that song, line after line of loneliness, estrangement, futility, as the song says, it goes on and on and on and on. And what does this classic rock song say to those who live in those kinds of circumstances. Well, it's in the title. What does it tell you to do? Don't stop believing. And how do you do that? Hold on to that feeling. Now, this song was released by Journey in Get This, 1981. Yes, it is 43 years old. Some of you are feeling really old right now. Those of, us, those of you who never heard this song before, you're really feeling old, but all right. But it was a top 10 worldwide hit in 1981. Don't Stop Believing became Journey's signature song, and it's continued to endure over the years. 
decades after it was released, it became the best-selling digital track from the 20th century. It's had over 7 million downloads. Critics acclaimed its qualities. Music magazine Rolling Stone ranked it as among the 500 greatest songs of all time. In fact, in 2022, the single was selected by the, the Library of Congress for preservation in the United States National Recording Registry as being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Journeys don't stop believing. Hold on to that feeling. Well, somewhere around 70 AD, an even better greatest hit came out of the Mediterranean from the letter to the Hebrews. And the section that we're going to look at this morning is also titled, Don't Stop Believing. In a life marked by futility and estrangement from God, it cannot be rescued by holding on to a feeling. But we're told instead that someone proven to be strong and real and actually there for us. That's who we look to. Now, this week and next, I'm warning you, we're going to travel into some murky, uncomfortable, and sometimes misunderstood spiritual and biblical territory. We will find some promises and some warnings, and the outcome of all this through the word will be to confront your Christian life. And if you happen not to be a Christian, it will earnestly implore you to become one. Now, before we get into our text this morning, I want to remind you of something I pointed out last week in our introduction to this letter to the Hebrews. And first of all, we said, although it comes to us as a letter, very likely it was originally a sermon that was preached and went viral among the early Christian community. And we said that this message in Hebrews is directed to two groups of people. It's directed to believers, and then those that we called last week believer-adjacent. You see, the hard reality is that among any group of God's people, a church or a denomination, the Old Testament Israelites, whatever, among any of those groups, there are those who are actually believers, and there are also those who are not. Now, those who are not, they're around, they're involved, they're maybe attracted to God or Jesus or the, the church community, and they're not in opposition to many godly, righteous values, but they're not believers. They're believer-adjacent. It means that they're next to, but they're not in. And on the surface, it's unlikely anyone can tell the difference between a believer 
and one who is actually believer adjacent. But it's important to the Holy Spirit through the writer of the letter of the Hebrews that you know that you are a believer and that you're warned if you're not. The overall assurance that you have that Christ Jesus has saved you, that you are filled with the Spirit of God, that you are adopted into God's family, we find in this passage here, and it's summed up in the title of our message this morning, your assurance, your confidence comes from your experience that you don't stop believing. The first thing we see in this passage is that unbelief will wreck you. Unbelief will wreck you. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. Now the first thing to notice here is what an unbelieving heart produces. It tells us that this unbelieving heart is sinful. Now, when it talks about being sinful here, it's not really addressing particular acts of sin here. But what he's saying here is that a sinful heart is one that means that you are moving away from, not towards the Lord. It says you turn from the living God. This unbelieving thing, it's about your heart. And the heart is your core self-definition. We see here an unbelieving heart produces hardening. That's an insensitivity to what's good and right and true. An unbelieving heart pulls away from God and is insensitive to what's good and right and true. A person with an unbelieving heart may be believer adjacent, may be around the things of God, but your affections toward Jesus and, and toward the Father eventually they sort of dissipate. And why does that happen? Well, it tells us right here. It talks about you being hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You've been deceived. Let me just give you one example of how sin deceives. Let's talk about adultery for a minute. Now, The Bible doesn't say that if you commit adultery, you aren't a believer. It doesn't say that. Believers commit adultery, okay? But let's just talk about this aspect of deceitfulness of sin and adultery. Over the years, I have walked with some folks through this. And it's really a great example of sin's deceitfulness. A husband or wife will risk blowing up their family blowing away all of their friends and relationships, 
likely put themselves in serious economic jeopardy. Why? Well, because now they have found the person they really love and can't live without. And they assume that after the dust settles, God will bless this mess and everybody will just move on. And that, my friends, is deception. And sooner or later, if they do this, they will find out. So sin can be deceitful. You really sort of lose your way and lose your mind. Getting caught up in this. That's what the warning's about. But again, just understand, unbelief in this passage isn't about a single stumble. In fact, we get an example of the unbelief that's being spoken about here and its consequences from an Old Testament account, starting in verse 15. Just as been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. What we have here is that people are hearing God's voice and warning them today not to rebel like they did back in the rebellion. What is he referring to here? Well, he's referring to an account that we find in Numbers chapter 14. Let me just put you in the setting of that. The Israelites were locked in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. God hears their cry, has mercy on them, raises up a redeemer, Moses, who rallies the people, confronts the leadership of Egypt and says, God is telling you to let these people go. Fierce opposition. God sends 10 plagues. And finally, Egypt relents. They get to the Red Sea. Egypt is now pursuing them. The Red Sea parts. They cross. It closes over the Egyptian army. They're saved, rescued from slavery. In the next year after that, if you follow the, the biblical account, they make their way to Mount Sinai, where they receive the Ten Commandments and the law. Then there's the incident with the golden calf. Consequences flow out of that, but God is with them, leads them to the absolute edge of the promised land. And that's what they're talking about here. That's this incident. What happens at the edge of the promised land? This has been a year since the Red Sea, since deliverance from Egypt. One year. Well, they know that there are people occupying the promised land. What are they going to be up against? So they decide to do something smart. And they send 
in a reconnaissance mission. Twelve individuals. Upon going through the land on a reconnaissance mission, they come back. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, say, let's go in. Let's take it. Ten come back and say, if we go in there, we're going to get slaughtered. They're going to kill us. These are people having seen God's might, his power, his favor, and now will not believe that God will give them the land. And most of the people who hear this negative report, they're done to. Let's go back to Egypt. At least we could live in Egypt. Why should we die here? What's the outcome? That whole generation will die in the desert and then the next generation gets to go in. A year's journey after being set free from slavery and a substantial number want to go back. I guess they're thinking whatever happened at the Exodus, whatever happened during the plagues, whatever happened at the Red Sea, well, whatever it was, it wasn't God. And where we are right now isn't going to get us to life. Unbelievers among the people of God don't actually believe that they're saved. And they don't actually believe that God is leading them to life. And when they need then to exercise some faith in God's leadership, in his wisdom, in his mercy, in his favor, in his power, in his goodness, it's a hard no. A hard no. And here's the difference. What do believers do in shaky situations? Well, if you go back to verse 12 in chapter 3, it tells us we turn to the living God. We don't turn away from the living God. We turn to the living God. When believers are tempted or weary or scared or angry or lonely, we move toward him. And we find when we make that move that he's been there all along. Also, Believers are animated and receptive to encouragement. That's what it says. You know, encourage. Uh, it says, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. That, that's why we gather. That's why we gather here on Sunday mornings. That's why you gather in a small group or a Bible study or just get together and socialize. We're always looking to receive or to serve up encouragement. Verse 13, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And you know what? Back in the rebellion there in Numbers that we just read, some of the believers did just that. They encouraged them. Numbers chapter 14 Verses 6 through 9. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Japuna, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, 
the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. What they did is what believers do through all generations. We gather together recalling and repeating what God has said and done. That's the means by which believers encourage others and themselves when their faith is shaky. And sadly, unbelief won't respond to God's word. And so this was the outcome to those in the desert, verses 18 and 19. And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So in this first section here, it is focusing on the wreckage of unbelief. And it is speaking primarily to these believer-adjacent people that were among the recipients of this letter and have been with the church throughout. Now he begins to address the believers. And he reminds us that when we're exercising faith, it actually leads us to a place of rest. You see, faith is not a grinded out, gutted out, hang on by your fingernails, exhausting life full of uncertain and challenging circumstances, one after another. Now sure, in our lives, there have been, there will be times of testing and trials and great temptations to disobey, to love ourselves more than we love God. And they come to each of us who believe. But each of us who believe, we're told, we have this internal abiding state that the Bible calls rest. The promised land was called rest. But it had to be conquered and maintained and defended by those who entered. Yet it was indeed all those things. It was rest because the Lord himself, he was present. And with his wisdom and mercy and favor and grace and power and goodness. And because of that, the believers indeed could rest. Even though there were things to be accomplished and to conquer in the promised land. Look at chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, 
But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, we who have believed entered that rest just as God said. Again, the writer of the Hebrews refers to those Israelites who had the good news of freedom from slavery, the present power of God who loved them, and a home that he was bringing them to. They had all that good news, and they didn't believe him. They wouldn't follow him. They didn't get to where God was going. But it says very emphatically in verse 3, Now we who have believed entered that rest, just as God said. And rest isn't defined simply as the promised land. If you look at verses 4 to 8, we won't take time to go through them, but basically it says, you know, rest is also the Sabbath. God took a rest then. It talks about King David says, today there's a time of rest, and that was hundreds of years after the Exodus. And they were already settled in the promised land, and yet he says there's still a promise for rest to come. So it's not the promised land. It's not in the Sabbath God's rest isn't confined to history or chronology or geography. Verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God rests, also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. So what does that mean? How do we, who follow Jesus and trust in him for our salvation, how do we live in that rest? It's a challenge. It's not automatic. It's an application of our faith. It's how we don't stop believing. Here's a verse that encourages me when I'm struggling to trust and obey Jesus. So I go to it ever so frequently. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So it says, in the same way you received Christ as Lord, that's how you walk in him. That's how you live in the rest. How did I receive Christ Jesus as Lord? How did that happen to me? How did it happen to you? Well, all of our stories are different, but the essentials are the same. He called me. He revealed himself to me. He poured out his love for me, into me. He put a new heart in me. And that new heart began to hate my sin. He told me that because he loved me, he died in my place for my sins. And then he made me a living witness that he was alive again by his resurrection power and his real presence in my life, then and now. He did it. I received it. That's how I got into Christ Jesus as Lord. So how do I walk in him? In the exact same way. He does it. He leads. He makes a way. And I walk in it. I just don't 
stop believing. I rest in him. What he's already done and what he is doing in me today, I rest from my works because of what he did, his finished work on the cross. A believing heart doesn't stop believing. You trusted Jesus to save you, to come into your life, forgive you of all your sins. You trusted that Jesus calls you his friend. Don't stop believing. But understand that when you first came in, that was just getting through the Red Sea. We keep believing those things all the way home. And we encourage one another and ourselves with the word of God. That's the last thing here. The work of the word distinguishes between the believer and the believer adjacent. Chapter 4, 12 and 13. Listen to what it says here. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You see, when you don't stop believing, you hold on to God's word. God's Holy Spirit makes that word come alive and active in you. God's word, it says, is alive and active. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in you with the word. It corrects foolish and unwise behavior. It detects when your affections and your faith are straying. It protects you with truth of God's love and favor and grace. And it directs you to right choices, upright people, and righteous paths for your life. That's what the Word of God does under the power of the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer. Believer adjacents, they may find some inspiration in God's word, but they will resist and ignore its challenges and corrections and calls to obedience. They push back there because they move away from the living God. Years ago, I was teaching high school and I worked with a guy who was newly married and to impress his wife, he was a big spender. Now, she also worked at the same school and, and she knew I was a pastor and one day before school, she comes to my classroom, knocks on the door, asks if I have a minute to give her some counsel. And then she goes on to unpack this scenario that was taking place in her household. While shopping, her credit card was declined. And then back then, they would seize it and cut it up. That happened to her. A few days later, their electricity was turned off and their landlord gave them a notice of eviction. Their car was in the shop, or so they thought she discovered that it had been repossessed. Repossessed. 
when she confronted her husband, he finally admitted that he hadn't paid any bills in months. And she asked, why haven't I seen any notices in the mail? You know what he said? He said, the last couple of months, whenever we got bills or late notices, I hid them under the bed. This is exactly how those believer adjacents deal with the word of God. It comes and they ignore. And my friends, if any of you happen to be one of those believer adjacents, the bills are coming due, the lights are going to go off, and you're going to wind up with nowhere to go and no way to get there. That's you. God loves you. And he's inviting you. No. He's commanding you. Repent today. Turn away from whatever path you are on to the living God. Believe the good news. Receive Jesus. Let his power change you into a true believer because that's what you need the power of God in your repentant heart and you will see a transformation that all believers have experienced and for the rest of us who are believers when you're struggling with temptation don't stop believing If you've gotten stuck in a sin habit, don't stop believing. If your walk with Christ has become inconsistent and to anyone around you, your walk has become invisible, don't stop believing. When you imagine that Jesus seems far away, go back to the word and don't stop believing. If you're struggling today with anxiety, uncertainty, even crippling fear, remember the God who loves you and saves you and don't stop believing. If you're struggling with injury or illness or even if you just feel like you are wearing out, God still has a great and loving plan for your life. Don't stop believing. And for those of you who are Serving God with vigor and intensity and intention and joy and patience and full of God's love and power, which I know many of you are, the word says to us the exact same thing. Don't stop believing. Let's have the worship team come up. Pray with me. Father, it is 
good for us to embrace the reality that your word warns us. So much of your word is about your goodness and your love and your grace. And we're thankful for that. But we're also thankful this morning that you do, in fact, warn and challenge us in your word like you have this morning. For some of us, Lord, you have challenged us to forsake the believer-adjacent life and to come into the family. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would so work on those individuals and let them find the joy of salvation and a capacity to move from being adjacent to the things of God into becoming part of the family of the kingdom of God, a redeemed son or daughter. For us, Lord, where we're at today, you are calling and challenging us to look to you, to the revelation of who you are and what you are doing that we find in the word and what that means for our lives as individuals and that we will begin believing if somehow or another we have strayed from that or we will find ourselves the capacity to sustain this walk by believing you for more and better and greater reality and impact in our lives that they would correspond to your call for us to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Do that in our lives, Lord. By your spirit, keep us believing because we know, Lord, that faith pleases you. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.